Welcome back. In this week's episode, we discuss Liz Cheney being excised from the Republican Party, an Austrian lockdown and vaccine mandate, and the use of woke language to sell Israel. We are joined by special guest Josh of Low Effort Zionist Memes. I'm Luke. And I'm Rody. And this is the Right Side of the Compass podcast. Okay, so today we are joined by our very special guest, Josh, of Low Effort Zionist Memes. Josh, care to introduce yourself? Yeah, of course. Uh, first of all, I'm just, uh, I'd like to say I'm happy uh, to be on the podcast. Uh, I think you guys are doing a great job. Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm uh, currently the, the operator, main operator of Low Effort Zionist Memes. This is a, a project and page that you know me and a couple other people have been doing for like two, three years now. And uh, we're most most big on Instagram right now, but we just cover topical news in the Middle East. We make memes. That's it. You know, we we put out some opinions there. And you we, have a we, lot of followers. Yeah. So you know, our on on Facebook, our first page, we actually reached fifteen thousand followers. Um, then Facebook deleted our page. On Instagram, we reached ten thousand, got deleted, and now we're building back up again. Uh, just you might covering. even say we're building back better. We're building exactly. Wow. We're building back better. That's very good. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. It's funny. I said that uh, because it's gotten to the point where I forget what actual words are, so I'll use the the made up liberal words. So, for example, now instead of saying clout or face, I say things like social credit. So oh, when God. I'm, yeah, I know it's <laughs> it's a nightmare. I don't I don't know how to speak English anymore. I now speak woke. Uh, so. We need to get back to that, mm. but I just figured, you know, building back better. We are building back better, though. Oh yeah, no, that's there. There's a real side to that mission, you know. There's a, <laughs> and we're going to talk a lot about building back better later in the podcast. Uh, certainly about when it comes to Hasbara, Israel, things like that. Uh, but let's, uh, you know, anything else you want to add before we get on to the first topic? Uh, no, just very excited, and uh, I'm looking forward to the chat. Well, I'm. Uh, we're all looking forward too. So uh, this will be a right, good uh, podcast. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So the first topic of today is uh, Liz Cheney ousted from the Wyoming GOP. Now she was she was very prominent in the Republican Party. Uh, I think she was one of the head chairwomen of the GOP on the national level, and uh, she's uh, is of course the daughter of former Vice President Dick Cheney, who is most famous for shooting a guy in the face. Uh, so that's that. <laughs> um, fun. yeah, but recently she's been known for less, for lack of a better term, less good things. Um, she, during the Trump administration, she was one of these, uh, never Trump Republicans. It's come to the point where she hasn't met a Republican that she has anything nice to say about. So as a result, you know, they, they booted her out of the Republican party, but first, Liz Cheney is the U.S. House representative from one of them from Wyoming. I think, do they have more than one representative or is she the only one? She may be the only one. Wyoming is a very uh, sparsely populated state, so she could very so well would, be the only one. So would you consider her like a, uh, would you consider her a uh, independent now? I don't, I don't actually know what, what this whole thing means in terms of her affiliation with the party. That that's actually not really the important part. I mean, I guess from a technical standpoint, it is important just to know where she stands. But even if she still considers herself a Republican, 
the important thing is that they booted her out of the party. The the Wyoming GOP, they they said, we're done with you. Uh, we're done with your nonsense. And this is because she she was a big critic of Donald Trump. Now, not to say that Donald Trump doesn't have his flaws. He, he like all humans, we're all flawed. Uh, but she was very unfair to the man. And then when it came to January 6th, she essentially became one of the Republicans that legitimized the January 6th investigations. So as you know, the, the Democrats are trying to push through this very partisan January 6th commission. They're, of course, saying things like, oh, my God, January 6th is the worst thing to happen. It's even worse than September 11th. Uh, of course, it's a horrible thing to say. Uh, and, of course, now they're they're trying to nail all of these old grandmas that marched into the Capitol dazed and confused like we all were. Um, and she's legitimizing that along with people like Adam Kinzinger uh, and other people. But Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney easily come to mind as the worst offenders in this uh, in this department. You wouldn't uh, you wouldn't add Mitt Romney. I mean, he, he seems like a, you know, he, he, I'm pretty sure he was um, another you know promoter of the January 6th investigation. He was a big critic of Trump. So I definitely Mitt Romney is is not he's he's a bad hombre in that regard. But I I think he was a he was not as bad of an offender as Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. I mean we can also discuss other n- never Trump Republicans such as Ben Sass. Ben Sass is is an interesting character. He 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 occasionally says very based conservative things. Uh, probably on purpose, which is why it's so annoying when he when he goes out on a limb to put himself at odds with the Trump movement. Now, the Trump movement, I think people like Sass, Kinzinger. Well, Kinzinger, I think is is a much more nefarious character. Uh, but Ben Sass, I, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. And the thing about Trumpism, quote unquote, that Ben Sass doesn't understand is that. Many times the people aren't able to articulate exactly what they want. Right. You know, that's what populism is. It isn't always this kind of doctrinaire thing that you can kind of parse and there's no no manual on it, right? That's why I think a lot of academics hate it because academics like things that are manifestos, they're written down, they're very easy to digest because they're written by a singular person. But populism is more just the frustration of the people when they don't feel their voices matter, when they feel they're being sold out. And I think that's what Ben Sass is forgetting, that American conservatism needs to be more than just some guy writing something in a book. It needs to be a, something it, – it's a feeling almost in your heart, you know, where you know something's wrong. You see all the jobs are being shipped off to China. You see that what we say on the world stage is taken less seriously. We're see, you see we're in these forever wars and nothing seems to end and nothing's being done by our politicians. And the little guys aren't always able to articulate it, not because they're stupid, but because they don't spend 17 years at an American university coming up with the exact way to say the thing that they're feeling, you know, but they, they know it when they see it. And and many times they're right, you know, because unlike, you know, these people in university where they spend time learning all these technical things or even just very highfalutin, well-respected uh, subjects, the guys on the ground know you know, more practical knowledge that isn't easy to, uh, 
I guess, categorize. It's almost, I, I believe it was Thomas Sowell. He was speaking about uh, things that are like special knowledge versus mundane knowledge, right? It's not that the regular people don't know things. It's that their knowledge is considered mundane by the people who get to decide what is special and what isn't special, right? Right. One thing I don't really understand, um, it says here in the article that, you know, Cheney, she obviously is still popular. It says here Cheney remains one of the most conservative members of Congress. She has a 96% positive rating from the Conservative Heritage Foundation, which rates lawmakers based on their voting records. Um, so, I mean, it seems like, you know, people conservatives still do like well i think i think there's there's like a little bit of and like the this whole story about liz cheney being ousted from the wyoming gop what it says to me is like we're we're you know in the political cycle there are actions and reactions and i i think that what we're seeing now with both the democrat and the republican party i think the democrats got to it first um is that both both sides are reacting to the fall of neo neoliberalism neo neoconservatism and both sides are actually coming to a sort of more populist understanding of society. Both sides are very frustrated. I don't think that the idea of what we define as conservative is so clean. Like, like I think we're we're still trying to figure out, still feel uh, sorry, still trying to figure it out on a you know larger collective level. So I don't know who's who's labeling her as a conservative, but I think if you look at where the energy is with with the politically conservative movement today. It's not with with the minds of Liz Cheney at all, you know. It's it's much younger. It's more energetic, and it's it's demanding a lot more. Right. I think also it's important to point out that uh, that it, this is not a poll of people who live out in the middle of nowhere and see their jobs disappearing or getting sent to China or their you know their money being lost to inflation. We're talking about people who who work in these highfalutin, you know, kind of think tank people. Like you said, this is not a poll of conservatives in, you know, Trump country. This is a poll of people who who are dealing in policy, right? And it's not that policy isn't important. It's just the reality is, is that Liz Cheney, on a very practical level, she has voted with Republicans on things. But the thing that many people noticed, and this is a thing that Michael Knowles pointed out, but I think a lot of people see this too, is that on the very, very important things, on the votes that matter, right? January 6th, I think, I think was a very, very important vote because that was that was the do or die moment, right? And she folded in the do or die moment, right? Yeah, she may vote for lower important event. It is. It is a very important event. If you are if you are a Trump supporter who somehow walked to, like I'm not even talking about the Trump horn guy. I'm talking about the you know the old grannies that we saw on video were being led into the Capitol by police, right? If you're one of these old grandmas who didn't know what was going on and was let into the Capitol building by police officers who were supposed to be guarding the place, and now you're being interrogated by the FBI and being called by very powerful Democrats, you're being called a terrorist, an insurrectionist, right? Hmm. It, it doesn't it doesn't really help you that Liz Cheney voted on some tax break for some corporation, right? You want Liz Cheney to be on your side when you're being accused of terrorism by the most powerful people in the country, possibly in the world, right? So that's what people I think are frustrated about. I don't I don't think they care about the tax breaks. Um 
the tax breaks and 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 the lowering of all these taxes and inflation that was a big big part of the tea party movement right and that's not to say that we shouldn't deal with you know monetary financial issues uh part of the biden administration is biden inflation where you both where we have this kind of lack of stock because of all these covid regulations and they're paying people not to work and you know money money is becoming less valuable things are costing more and the shelves are not stocked and people feel it and they notice it right and we we of course have all the examples of of shelves being empty and even worse them just printing papers that make it look like there's things on the shelf but you can very obviously take the paper off and you see there's nothing behind it it's just pictures of supply but it's not actual supply and uh like i keep on saying the biden administration feels like a fake presidency and the grocery stores represent that but uh that's that's what people see this so i'm not really concerned about what some conservative political action committee is uh, saying about Liz Cheney because it seems to me that the Wyoming GOP noticed, hey, Liz Cheney is pissing off the base. Let's distance ourselves from her because she's not she's not there when we need her to be there. Well, yeah, I would also just add on to that that I think if if you try if you're trying to figure out what agendas are being spoken at at the dinner table, you know, like like people aren't talking about um, tax brackets and and you know fiscal policy. They're they're talking about social issues, you know. And again, like I said, it's not to say that um, fisc- fiscal issues aren't important. I actually do think that social is- uh, social issues are downriver from fiscal issues. Meaning that when people are struggling for money, where their when their wallets are lighter, um, other social issues starts to start to you know highlight themselves. But um, I I think that for Republicans and just conservatives in general to, to think that, you know, they can run, run on, on a message of reducing taxes and win. It's, it's just not going to be relevant anymore. Like the, you know, the, the fiery issues are, are the social issues, which, which are coming up uh, in everyday talk, you know? Well, yeah, that, that was highlighted, I think, by the recent elections in Virginia. Um, I'm blanking out on the name. Uh, Terry McAuliffe, he ran on, you know, CRT, CRAP in schools, mm-hmm. uh, critical race applied principles in schools. He said that parents don't have the right to dictate what their children are being taught in schools. And I guess to a certain degree, he's technically correct. I mean, I wouldn't want parents to be able to say, hey, you know, I don't want my kids learning science. I don't want my kids learning math, right? Obviously, the schools need to have a baseline if they're government schools. But at the same time, I think parents do have the right to say, hey, like, listen, don't tell my kid that he's racist because of the color of his skin, right? Don't tell my kid that if he wants to, he can inject himself with hormones and he become and he can become the opposite gender. Like, what the heck does that mean, right? And it showed because he lost the election to Glenn Youngkin. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would actually disagree with you, Josh. I would say that actually the social issues are 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 upstream from the fiscal issues, namely that what happens what what's been happening ever since well, I can't even remember, but certainly during the Reagan administration, the Bush administration, both Bush administrations, is that we've noticed that we didn't want to address the social issues. And so we we addressed the tax issues thinking that, oh, if we address the tax issues, everyone's going to have a little more money and everyone's going to kind of calm down. They're not going to care. If you put more money in their pockets, uh, people will be satisfied. This is also incidentally their policy in the Middle East, that if you just pay the Arabs enough, if, if you help the Arabs you know, become more financially prosperous, they're going to abandon their religious fervor and they're going to go and and be America, but just in the Middle East with more brown people. But that's just simply not the case. People, believe it or not, believe in the things they say they believe in. And 
when people care about those things, they vote for those things. So if they, for example, if they believe in more than two genders, they're going to vote on more than two genders. If they believe in only two genders, they're going to vote on that. If they're atheists, they're going to vote on being atheist. If they're Christian, they're going to vote on being Christians. And you can't just address the fiscal issues because even if, let's say, you do get elected on fiscal issues, let's say you get addressed, uh, elected on these fiscal issues and you pass your tax cuts, right? Ignoring who these tax cuts are for. Let's say let's say that these tax cuts really are for the middle and lower classes, right? Then a Democrat comes, markets themselves as the woke candidate, they get elected, and then all your fiscal, you know, all your fiscal progress went to crap. Right. You need to you need to tell people like, hey, listen, it's not just about the fiscal issues; it's about the family issues, it's about the culture issues. Oh, you like going to church? Well, the Democrats shut down your church. Oh, you like uh, you you want your kids to know that there's only two genders? Well, the Democrats are teaching them uh, the critical race applied principles, and they're telling your kids that. Uh, that there's such a thing as non-binary people or two-spirit or whatever all the weird Tumblr genders that exist, right? So that's going to matter more. If oh, yeah. No, want- no. Look, my, my point my point is like I wasn't uh, – social issues are very important. And, and and like my point of saying that they're downstream from uh, fiscal issues was only to say that when the country is doing well economically, there seems to be a better sense of national unity. You know, just just in that sense, and but but you know, just to say, like even here in Jersey, we we had a very close election as well. You know, um, Chitarelli, for the majority of the night, I actually thought he he might he might win it, um, and he he ran really on an agenda of just lowering taxes in Jersey, um, which actually is a pretty big issue because we're one of the highest tax states in the country, and you know, we, yeah, and, don't remind us, and yeah, the only thing had going for us was the gas prices, and now that's even. Right. <laughs> At least we're not California. In certain counties in California, gas is going for over seven dollars a gallon. <laughs> Can you? What the? What <laughs> is that? What California? Get your shit together. Um. Yeah. Calif- California secession movement is uh is, is, is still, still still some energy there. No. It, namely, we want California to secede <laughs> from the union. We want them out of here. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right. Um, should we move on? Uh, yeah. I think that's. I think that's it. I think that's all we can really say about it. Uh, although I will add one thing, uh, and that is that the the fiscal issues. I think people people don't understand. I think a lot of people don't care if some big CEO gets a tax break or not. I think a lot of Republicans, populists, right? They don't care if if the CEO of whatever company has to pay a higher tax rate. I think uh, Republicans have been campaigning too long on why the progressive tax rate is stupid. I'm not necessarily for the progressive tax rate, but I think for the average American, you're much more likely to convince them to vote for your side if you talk about the schools, if you talk about yep. the things that matter to them. And uh, we saw that with uh, with uh, Chitterelli. We I, we spoke about it last week with Justine. I said, you know, if Chitterelli made Phil Murphy talk about the social issues. Maybe he would have won. I agree. It, it, it I was agree. very, yeah, it was very close. His uh, campaign was was very mute on social issues in Jersey, and I think that was that was something that led to to his defeat. Yeah, it's social issues are a lot like uh, skidding in the in the ice. You got to lean into it, man. You know, you can't mm-hmm. you, you can't you can't avoid it. If you avoid it, you're just gonna crash. Lean into it. Try to try to wrangle that beast. Uh, but I think that's it. If any, if no one else has anything else to say, 
No, um, I don't really have anything else to say on that. I mean, it's it means kind of not self-explanatory, but I mean, yeah, she wasn't. Uh, I mean, Cheney, she wasn't a. Uh, I would say loyal to the GOP, so they kind of just out of you know kicked her out. Well, well, yeah. I mean, the reality is is that a lot of people for the longest time were throwing out terms like Rhino and Dino. Republican in name only, Democrat in name only. And that was really used to say someone wasn't voting with the party all the time. But I think if there was ever a time to use such a phrase, it would be for the Lincoln Project people and also for people like Liz Cheney who can't seem to – they've never met a Republican presidential candidate that they would vote for. And uh, it, that just shows – it shows where the people are. It shows that the GOP is waking up. It's showing them that, oh, you can't just do the same thing that worked in the Bush administration. It doesn't work even if you're not going to make it about Trump, which you know, I, I love Trump, right? But you can't make the populist movement about Trump because Trump is one guy and the the movement's much bigger than him, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. – and we saw that when, for example, he was telling – his followers to get vaccinated and they booed Trump, right? Because it's, yeah, Trump was taught, and I'm not even saying that Trump was wrong, right? The vaccine may work. But to a lot of these regular people, it was a lot more than just the vaccine. It was about, hey, listen, I don't want to be forced to do anything that I don't feel comfortable doing, right? You're not going to make me get this medical treatment and you're not going to lock down the country just because uh, I I don't want to, you know, get the jab, the Fauci ouchie. But (laughs) I think... But I think that's even I, I, sorry, I haven't heard that before. The Fauci ouchie, that's pretty good. <laughs> then you haven't been watching the Michael Knowles show, and it shows. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I think you can start I think using it, it now. <laughs> yeah, right. I think Michael Knowles is going to have to start charging us royalties for for using all of his catchphrases and citing him all the time. So, but uh, we'll deal with that. But I think regardless, no matter how bad it is in New Jersey, people like us should be thanking our lucky stars that we are not in Austria to segue very nicely into our next topic. Austria is locking down the unvaccinated, and this happened while I was over the weekend, while I was just enjoying myself over the weekend. They are now mandating the vaccine in Austria. So just a straight-up vaccine mandate. They're not even hiding it anymore. They, they will fine you and even throw you in jail if you don't want to get the vaccine. Um, just as an aside, uh, where have we seen this before? Uh the Germans mandating things and separating people based on uh, things like this. Where have we seen this before? You're, you're, wait, you're comparing this to the Holocaust? Obviously, yes. I mean, you've got the clean vaccinated people and you've got the dirty unvaccinated people. You've got the Ubermenschen who are going to be uh, impervious to the, the, the COVID, the Wu flu, and you've got the, 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 the rats who, are, who refuse to get vaccinated. They're unclean, they're dirty. Uh, I think at this point we need to stop Austria and Germany from like. I mean, you could also you can also um, compare it to you know Jim Crow laws. I mean, I wouldn't. Just, I mean, I think I think the Holocaust. The thing is, like I've seen I've seen this analogy made, and somebody actually asked me about this a couple of days ago um, because there was some anti-vax protest and people were wearing yellow stars, you know. And um, I can I get, I see what you're trying to say at large, but but the main difference is, and I think it's a massive difference is especially in the U S like taking the vax is, is still a choice. You know, you can, you can either take it or not take it. And then, you know, you, you know, you, you live with the repercussions of whether you do or don't. Um, 
you know, be, being a victim of, of uh, the Holocaust was was about an, an, an immutable difference. It was, it was something that you couldn't control. It wasn't something you could, you know, choose in and out to be part of. So, like, I, I and again, like, I think just anytime we analogize something to the Holocaust, and people do it all the time on so many issues. Oh, yeah. No, it's so tired. It's so tired. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. You know, it's just like we're, we're, we're skirting some actual good discussions we can have about it. Um, and yeah, again, just, just like I said, to reiterate, taking the vax, it, it should be a choice. Um, it should and, be a choice, but I think, I think here's, here's the thing. There's two points that need to be made. Number one, just, I think it's one thing when people compare everything to the Holocaust, that's obviously not true. Not everything is a Holocaust. Not every bad person is a Nazi. Right. That obviously goes without saying, like there's, there's words for bad things that are not Nazism. Not everything is fascism. I think that goes without saying. But uh, at the same time, number one, it's very easy to compare Germany and Austria to the Holocaust simply because it seems they're always the bad guys. It's it, <laughs> no, it's just it, it just it is what it is. Like World War One, they were the bad guys. Before World War One, they were the bad guys. World War Two, they were the, they're, they're still the bad guys. The, bad guys the from Indiana World War II. Jones movies, they were the bad guys. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> In Call of Duty, they're, they're making they still Nazi make zombies. Of, yeah, exactly right. that we. Anytime we want to make something extra bad, we just put the word Nazi in front of it. Like zombies are bad enough, but now they're they're zombies that believe in the master race. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's like now we need to kill them. Like they made a whole video game, but the Nazis are still the bad guys, right? The, we make whole video games about World War II. It's like a popular genre of video game, right? So are, and, or, so are you saying for, for political expediency, it, it this type of analogy – works no 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 not not for political expediency i'm saying simply as a matter of this is it seems to me that the germans are always looking to control everything right i was speaking to i was speaking to this girl from the czech republic um first of all she was absolutely based like super duper based and we were talking about how germany is ruining everything and anyone who doesn't like the eu in 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 europe they always talk about how it's like the return of nazi germany Right, because the Germans are really at at the top of the EU, right? So they got their German Empire. They just did it instead through, you know, unity and uh, and and yeah, advancement. Pro- exactly. So they they failed two times to conquer Europe by force. Uh, so they used uh, diplomatic or soft power means. Yeah, exactly. And and the Germans. Germans in general, even when talking about German Jews, right, that the joke is always that they're always on time, they're always punctual, they they're they're mm-hmm. very neat, organized, things like that. So if you want to talk about a genocide that's done by, I guess, a less civilized people for all, you know, for lack of a better term, it's typically like running into a town with swords screaming, you know, Deus Volt or Allahu Akbar, and then just slaughtering the people, right? But the Germans were the ones that really mastered genocide, right? They, they were organized. They were meticulous. They took records, right? We, we still have all their concentration camps. We have piles of shoes from people who handed in their shoes. They, they made sure that their victims were naked when they died. Like, it, it's insane, right? So they're very meticulous about th- these things. They're very organized. And that's why when they do things like this, it's very scary. Because when they go down the road of control – it it seems to end it always seems to end badly they're they're incapable the germans for some reason are incapable of being in control but at the same time being normal about it they always have to be absolutely control and people polite. will die yeah they're always like polite when they when they do something like that 
yeah, they they'll, they'll they'll gas you to death, but they'll do it with a smile on their face. And uh, and and the thing is, is that I'm not a libertarian. I'm I'm very much a typical conservative. I think that the government has roles for things. I think at this point, Austria and Germany should be banned from ever mandating anything ever. Other countries should do that, but not Austria and Germany. They're, they're incapable. <laughs> I mean, look, I mean, I understand why you might be comparing it, but obviously there are there are very different. One is trying to kill people, while this one's trying to save people. <laughs> but that's the thing; they always say that, right? When in Nazi Germany, when they when they were killing the Jews, it was because they wanted to save the German race. They thought right, that the I, Jewish I, I, people the were keeping. At the expense of another people, I think like like the argument with with the vaccines is like we're trying to get everyone to take this. You know, it's it's not just yeah. But right. um, here's, I just want to play a little bit of devil's advocate. Like it says here from the New York Times, basically what it comes down to is what do you look as the COVID being? Do you see it more as the flu, where you know people have a choice whether they should take it or not, or do you see it as the measles? Or, you know, where basically everyone is kind of, you know, mandated to take those. Right. So, I mean, I th- you, you definitely know my opinion on that, but that's not even the point. I think that the second point, I was going to make the second point, but then we got kind of got a little off topic. And that is that it never starts as the Holocaust. The Holocaust doesn't start as, you know, Hitler deciding to gas the Jews. It never would have worked, Right. It's always slowly progression, right? It's always little by little, step by step. First, they tell the Jews they can't go to certain shops, and they break the Jewish shops, and they say there are benches for Jews and benches for non-Jews, and then there's there's uh, this separation, that separation, and then eventually there's a ghetto, and then there's trains, and then there's a concentration camp, and then there's a World War II. These things never happen overnight, and I think, and while I do think. Holocaust analogies are very lazy and they're very easy. It's very easy to get wrapped up in, in, in the fervor of, you know, never again and all that kind of stuff. It is important to recognize that never again does mean something. And that if you do want never again to mean never again, you have to recognize the signs and you have to go, Hey, we need to put a stop to this right now because this is looking too much like it did in the 1930s. Well, I mean, I think it would be more comparable to, to either like Jim Crow or you know what this really reminds me of? Have you guys seen uh, the doctor read the Doctor Seuss uh, book, uh, The Sneeches, where you know they have you know these little birds where either they do have a star on their stomach or they don't have a star on their stomach, and you know they discriminate against each other based on whether they have that star or not, and then they try switching and everything. So it's more about you know I guess discrimination whether you know you're vaccinated or not versus versus not. Well, I mean, think about it this way, right? One of the – I remember one of the earliest COVID phrases was we're all in this together, which <laughs> makes us sound like we're in a giant high school musical video. Yeah, but- I love those memes where it's like we're in the same boat and then it's like, oh, the celebrity's boat and my boat. <laughs> right, right. But as soon as the vaccine came out and certain people had kind of – they had the reservations about it, right? People all of a sudden turned on each other. And it's very important to see how quickly these slogans turn on each other, it's, it turn on their heads. It's very important to notice that, you know, and, and this is not to say anything about the vaccinated. I don't, there are people who, who say things like, oh, you know, the vaccinated, they're just a bunch of sheeple. They'll listen to whatever the government tells them. And I specifically kind of, I, I specifically try to avoid those types of, you know, that type of rhetoric 
Because uh, number one, I, I don't think that the vaccine itself is a problem. I think that if the vaccine appeals to you and you want the vaccine, you should go get it and whatever. But more importantly, I don't want the division. I don't want to tell people, oh, they're idiots for getting the vaccine, right? I don't think you should push it on your five-year-old, but you know, I think certainly when most adults, if they want the vaccine, you know, even if it, even if it in the end it turns out to be dangerous, which I don't believe, right? I think, you know, people are just trying to do what's best for them. And I think saying, oh, this one's an idiot for getting the vaccine. This one's an idiot not for getting to not get the vaccine. That's divisive. And that that really that's not, you know, we're not in this together. Right. I think I think also the, the way the vaccine was was marketed in terms of just the language that's being used. Um, it's again, I, I agree with you. I actually, um, you know, I myself, I, I took the first two vaccines because I had to fly uh you know, to Israel and they wouldn't have let me come in without it. But um, I'm not against the vaccine. Like the data shows that the vaccine works and, and, you know, all this stuff, which is good. But I think the language is super important. And, you know, the language that we see from types like Fauci, they're, they're very much bordering or either crossing into forceful language. And I think to bring it back to Austria, uh, Europeans, especially just, just given their history, um, they're so much more prone to accelerating the language into forceful means um and and i think i think that's 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 what we're seeing in austria being highlighted right now it's it's just like the, the vaccine it itself is not authoritarian my, government yeah right they, they, they their acceleration into authoritarianism is just so much faster than the u.s and i think that has to do with our own you know traditions of history yeah, I mean the the for, for better or worse, the Germans are are very authoritarian people, and in certain ways, it's very useful. They're they're easy to get to cooperate. If you ever talk about you know the differences between Europeans and Americans, with I don't know Canadians or whatever it is, a lot of people will tell you like, oh, the 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 Americans are too free. They like their guns and they like their <laughs> churches and they like their you know this and that. But you see that there's there is an advantage to being an American and having an American mindset when you when you I don't know when you want to do something by yourself. Americans, you know, for all the problems in the United States currently, a lot of the problems are that you know the American government and the 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 elites in society want to turn America into Europe, right? Where everything's a lot more regulated, where everything is a lot more top down, um, and you know, when you talk to an actual American, they're very much bottom up people. They're very much by the, by your own bootstraps type of people. They'll help others out, but they'll do it on their own terms. And, uh, I think, I think that's definitely like, that's the key, that's the key cultural difference. Um, but how it has to do with Israel, it's very interesting because Israelis on the one hand are very industrious people, right? They, they built up a country in a very short time. But it didn't take long for the interim government to start taking over everything. If you know the forty-eight war, you'll know that after the war they started putting people into into um, displaced people's camps, and they started rationing everything. And even now, like the turn to capitalism, the turn to free market is very slow. And the only thing that's really a free market is our high tech sector, and it shows. You can make a lot of money in high tech, but you can't make money anywhere else, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, so, it makes sense that was the case because a lot, I mean, at the beginning, a lot of Jews came from Soviet Russia. So that was kind of the mindset. It was us and not I. Yeah, it's, it, it, you mean our kibbutz. It's not my our. kibbutz. It's our kibbutz, comrade. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I think, I think also like, like the, 
One interesting difference, let's say, if you were to look at the U.S. citizenry and its relationship with the U.S. government versus the Israeli citizenry versus the Israeli government, the Israeli government did some really, really authoritarian shit, you know, during the COVID uh, crisis. Like one of those things, and I'd like to bring this up, is that the government, the Israeli government, was tracking your cell phone to see who you're making contact with, you know, in your in your own life. Um, and Israelis were by and large, I don't, they're by and large okay with it. And I think that's because even though there, there's a lot of political rife in Israel, I think Israelis trust that their government is at least trying to do things in their own best interest. Whereas I think if you if you look at the U.S., that's that's not a that's not an axiomatic belief that the government is out there for your own benefit. You know, I mean, it's it's in the founding document of the United States that the government is not always doing things in your best interest, and you have to keep an eye on your government. But I think for several reasons, and I can go into those, the Israeli people are much more trusting of their government. I think number one, there is this aspect of we're not Americans. We we have a history of of trusting the government. Our government is, at least in theory, should be religiously mandated, right? Um, so we, we have a government that's mandated in the Bible, the kings. Um, we've had all sorts of governments in the past, but all the time we it was the the relationship to the government was the government has authority from God. And while the government has a responsibility to keep itself reined in, ultimately the citizen is responsible to its government, which I think on some level makes sense, right? If you have mm-hmm. a normal government you do need to pay your taxes and you do need to be part of your society. And the government is an important part of that, right? It, it, the problem is, is when the government is not behaving in, in a way that is proper and correct. I think that's the issue. But I think also a lot of Israelis uh, rally behind the government because a lot of people around the world attack their government many times unfairly. Oh yeah, And in a knee-jerk reaction, the Israelis are not many times not capable of having a real discussion about the things that the government actually does wrong because they're too busy talking about uh, genocide, racism, you know, colonialism, all these isms that are just not true. So it, it hurts the Israeli people, all this Hasbara, because on the one hand, it's necessary on some level because there are people out there who genuinely do think is the Israeli government's the worst government in the world. It protects the Israeli government from its own people because now the Israeli government, the Israeli people rather, have to rally around their government, have to rally around their country. So people like Benjamin Netanyahu, Naftali Bennett, and all the others, right, they're able to hide what they're doing because the people are too busy focusing on what other people are saying about Israel and not what, you know, what what their own people think about Israel. Well, I think I think I, I agree with you. Um I do think we're we're starting to see a little bit of a change in that, I, you know, and like this is, I don't mean to get into uh, Israeli politics. I don't know if we're trying to get into that right now. Are we? I just want to get a. Uh, I mean, it's okay. We could dabble in it. It's not. It's not a. We could talk about whatever we want. This is our show. Right. Right. No. No. So all, all, all I'm saying is that, like, you know, especially when you were talking earlier about Israel turning into capitalism, uh, that that is, I think, something Bennett really, really wants. You know, like I think he's said on multiple occasions, he he wants the Israeli economy to try and emulate this, you know, Singapore economy. Uh, and he sort of wants to bring Reagan-style economics to Israel, um, right? And and I, I think Israelis, I think they'll be, you know, they'll be receptive to that. Yeah, I don't think Israelis. I think if you talk to Israelis, they'll say things like, 
oh, we like our healthcare system. But I think if you, even if you were to privatize the healthcare system tomorrow morning, I think Israelis would get over it because to Israelis, like Americans and like every other person on the planet, they're less concerned about the financial issues as they are concerned about the cultural issues. I think a lot of Israelis care more about the rockets being fired at them. Yeah, uh, this this I'll disagree. This I'll disagree. I mean, I think I think day to day, like if you look at the economic life of Israelis, there there are many families, including you know my own, which are they are living paycheck to paycheck, you know, and and like it's like right now the prices of just groceries in Israel, it's like it's insane. Oh yeah, it's don't remind insane. me. Oh, it's yeah, terrible. No. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I would know. Right, right, <laughs> right. You're, you're there. You're there. You're there. <laughs> I know. We'll, we'll we'll discuss that. We'll discuss that. Maybe a different time, but definitely mm-hmm. the we're, we're feeling the Biden inflation here too. If that's mm-hmm. what you're wondering. Uh, no, I. But what? I, and I'm not saying that the. I never said that the Israelis don't care about the fiscal right, issues. Right. It's more that I think that on the regular Israelis' mind. I think that if you were able to solve the rockets flying into Israel, I think if you were able to have a more stable Middle East, I think they would forgive the fiscal issues a lot more. Whereas, right. So I think, I think if you ask any honest Israeli, like, can, can we, and and I don't mean like peace in the Middle East in some sort of like hippy dippy way. I mean, more in the sense of, can we get more deals like we did with the UAE, more kind of cold agreements with Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Jordan, right? If we can have everyone stop like attacking us all the time, if you get rid of Hezbollah, Hamas, if you can deal with the religious institutions, the rabbinate, the rabbinate, right? If you could deal with that, if you could deal with the high taxes, right? I, I think if you dealt with all the other issues, they wouldn't mind if the Israeli standard of living was just a little bit lower than the American one. Like that's already I mean- just- you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I just want to add one thing that some, I think Israelis are also okay with, you know, going back to the government, that they're okay with um, their government is because even the right-leaning people are still somewhat left-leaning, like, you know, they're in support of, you know, social programs um, and stuff like that. Yeah. Because left and right mean different things in, in Israel than they do here in the U.S., yeah, I know the name of the podcast is Right Side of the Compass, but it's almost it's almost like right and left don't really mean anything, right? We say <laughs> right versus left, but you know, it's we say them as shorthand for broad political ideas and theologies, quote unquote. And it shows because in the United States, right wing means going out in the middle of nowhere, having like fifty guns, starting your own farm, and just not <laughs> caring what the government. America. Like, F yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like the song. And in Israel, it means, I don't know, going to a Tel Aviv rally in support of Sterot and being hawkish on Gaza or whatever. You know, you, you don't really get the – like even the people that live out in the boonies in Israel, they they still pay their taxes and they're still mandated by the government. They still have you know police and army coming out and saving them, whatever, this, that. Even the people out in the middle of nowhere, they don't own 50 guns. Right, even the people that are pro-gun in Israel, they just want everyone to have one pistol. They don't want people having a cache of weapons, right? And uh, it shows. Uh, before we we go on, I just I just want to say that yeah, I think going back to Austria, right? If we're going back to Austria for a second, just to kind of round out the discussion, I'm not necessarily against a vaccine mandate. 
in in principle, right? Because even back in George Washington's time, he inoculated soldiers and people died. And we did have uh, fines for people not being vaccinated against certain diseases in the United States. It's more about the specific issue of COVID all in all is not a big deal. And all in all, the vaccine's still relatively new and has still a lot of side effects. And people are right to be concerned about those side effects. And we shouldn't be mandating this specific vaccine for this specific virus. So you're saying it's for this specific virus that's the issue and not the fact that it's a mandate for getting vaccines. Yeah, I mean, I COVID mean, isn't COVID isn't smallpox, you know, like like that's just... No, I understand that. Right. So I'm just I just want to clarify that's what you guys mean. But also just as a matter of as a matter of science, right? Let's go back to the science for a second if we're following it, right? COVID behaves a lot more like the flu in terms of its endemicness, its seasonality. We're never it almost feels like a vaccine for COVID is 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 futile. Because we're always going to be behind on what the current strain is. The vaccine's never going to be able to get the current strain. Because that's the way the flu vaccine works, right? That's why I never get the flu vaccine. It's a waste of time. The flu vaccine is for last year's flu. And this year's flu is a different model. And so when you get the vaccine for last year's flu, you're very well protected against last year's flu. But that flu's gone. It's over. What we should be looking into is therapeutics. And I think a lot more people would be open to therapeutics and not open to the vaccine, number one, because of the ethical issues surrounding the production and the development of these vaccines, but also just because I think people are a lot more receptive to treatment when they're sick versus uh, when they're healthy. I think you can convince a lot more people to be open to treatment if they're already sick, but a lot of people you know, flout health rules when they're not when they're not immediately sick. And I think that's human nature, honestly. I think a lot of people are, are cautious when it comes to injecting things into themselves when they're otherwise healthy. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's just natural. Yeah. I mean, especially if you know that you're, you know, not ha- if you're not a big risk, you know, to dying from it, especially. Yeah. 100%. I, and I heard the, I hear the argument from the other side that it is, you know, we should never be mandating vaccines. We should never be mandating irreversible medical decisions. I hear that. And Maybe I'm very sympathetic. To, maybe I'm very sympathetic to that view now because I, I see the government not doing what they're supposed to be doing and being very incapable of making these decisions with a level head. At the same time, I think just more as a principle, I'm not against the concept of forced medical decisions. It's more just this specific medical decision feels very unwarranted. And the way we're approaching it is very unwarranted. And also, yeah, the language they're using is 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 making it worse. They're not they're not doing it. They're not making things better by, I don't know. For example, Bennett accusing half the. Well, yeah, but I remember when Bennett got on the on his podium, and essentially started calling half of the Israeli population criminals for not getting the vaccine. Um, that was insane. I think that was every government. <laughs> It was every government, but I think it's different when it's coming from your own government. And the thing about Israel is that unlike in the United States, there is no accountability for the government. In America, we see what's going on. We see uh, – just a shout out to Kyle Rittenhouse. He's now – he's been uh, ruled not guilty on all charges and he's probably going to be suing everybody. If he's not a trillionaire by the end of this, there will be no justice. <laughs> Um, but you could theoretically sue the Biden administration. The Daily Wire sued the Biden administration, made uh, OSHA back off from the vaccine mandate on the businesses. There is accountability in the United States. 
Whereas in Israel, if the government says something, there really isn't much you can do about it. And I think that's what mm-hmm. makes it scary. There is no recourse for it. There's no one deciding. And same thing in Austria and the other EU countries. Yeah, for sure. I think in countries that are not the United States, and that's why the United States is the greatest country of all time, there really is someone there to make sure that what the government is doing is correct. There really there really is a process. In Israel, it doesn't feel like it. Everything um, – sometimes it's really good that the country is run by favors, but if you're not on the receiving end of a favor, it can be very bad, and it shows. Okay, so we just finished talking about Austria and their vaccine mandate. We are going to take a small break, and we are going to talk about in the next segment about Hasbara and what it means to be an indigenous Jew. Follow us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Please tune into the next part of the episode, and we're looking forward to seeing you there. (laughs) 